Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thrive Co-Living podcast and YouTube broadcast. Thrive Co-Living is a new concept in creative community building. Sustainable, multicultural, multi-generational, and inclusive, Thrive Co-Living communities are built from repurposed big box stores or other suitable buildings. In this series, myself, Jennifer Hooper, and Thrive founder, Mark Stein, will weave together the tapestry that makes up the physical and spiritual components of this new concept in community living. Now on with the show. Okay, so I'm uh, really pleased to have Ajay Kumar from Bangalore with me today. And he is a, uh, he's got a, an awesome uh, perspective on co-living in, especially over in Asia. And we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those similarities and differences in our focus. Um, his, uh, he's also created software for the co-living student housing and other um, other types of communities uh, rental housing called thehousemonk.com i think we're going to get together another time just to focus exclusively on that but um, we we were introduced by a mutual friend and uh, we thought we would just have our converse our intro conversation as a podcast and recorded as a podcast so thanks very much <laughs> for meeting with me and I look forward to what we what we want to chat about. So definitely. Thank you so, so much, Mark, uh, for accepting this invitation to talk. Actually, like I think I wanted to speak to you uh, more than you know, like you wanting to speak to me. Uh, so you know, like really happy to be here and very interesting that even the first conversation is kicking off as a podcast and you know, not just as a regular Zoom conversation. So excited to see where this goes. Good. So <clears throat> why don't I uh, since, since you're my guest, why don't, why don't you start out <clears throat> with any uh, topics that you'd like to, to talk about or things, things that you'd like to focus on? Uh, definitely. I think there are m multiple points that we can talk about. Uh, but I think the first thing that is really standing out, right, is with respect to how uh, co-living and rental housing uh, is essentially evolving so differently right, in different countries. And one of the points that I found most interesting about Thrive was the focus on community and, you know, like how it's more than just a, you know, more than just, you know, like a solution for housing. It's more of a social solution, you know, for essentially people to find a community of like-minded people to live with. And that is something that I find very interesting because uh, in Asia and in, you know, multiple other countries and multiple other continents or regions in the world, uh, rental housing is more focused on providing a space for people to live. Uh, community is a byproduct, but space is essentially what, you know, the customers are looking for. Um, another point, you know, like to be mentioned here is that rental housing is essentially a solution for the younger population um, in a lot of these markets uh, and not really targeted at, it's not multi-generational, it's not you know, targeted at older people, it's essentially for people in their early to mid twenties to find a solution to live. And it's also targeted at lower income groups uh, you know, as a solution for them because they might not be able to afford to buy their houses, right? Uh, compared to once again, in uh, all across Europe and the US and in Canada and a lot of our, uh, our clients in these regions, 
it's become very explicitly clear that it's not really for the young specifically although the youth do contribute to a very big portion of the target market and you know the people who are living in these facilities but it's not something which is specific to young people and you know it's kind of like more from the perspective of you know anyone who is uh, who can you know think the way the rest of the community thinks you know like they have uh, they have access to our facility so i think that might be a very interesting point you know to kick start this discussion with respect to how it's serving different needs in different markets great um okay well let me let me focus on that a little bit so the main problem that i think we want to solve is solving this problem of the epidemic of loneliness and feelings mm-hmm. of separation that mm-hmm. uh at least in western countries and i and uh you guys are are getting more and more digital as well um you know i went to the beach not too long ago and i was walking along the beach and families were together and couples were together and everyone was on their phone you know so so i think that technology and my work as a digital marketer is is promoting this i think that the dependency on technology is leading us further and further apart uh in in our relationships um mm-hmm. here also uh attendance in religious groups is way down attendance and membership in civic organizations like rotary um and different organizations like that that participation is way down so i think increasingly and then you you put in technology with that increasingly it is more and more difficult for people to find their place find their people um and here there's a lot of there's a lot of construction of rental apartments and the typical one looks like a four story building sometimes there are clusters of them um they may have a uh a a rec recreational facility they may have a pool they may have a workout room but uh and even a common space for gatherings but I don't get the impression that people are doing that. They're not mixing. They're I feel like most people are going into their own uh their own unit and watching their own big screen TV and mm-hmm. not not interacting. So yep. uh, and and I've read a lot of articles about that. So I think it it is mm-hmm. true and that's the main problem that we're trying to resolve is to is to get people together and have programming all the types of things that co-living communities do but to really focus on that and to use technology and that's something we might talk about as well since you're in the tech to use mm-hmm. technology to foster that um mm. and to come up with a platform because I do think that that co-living communities have a a need for technology that's different from a facebook group or a facebook yeah. page um yeah and i know a lot of them use whatsapp but there are a lot of limitations there so yeah. so i and and actually as a as a uh, a tech person i'm interested in the possibility of building something like that that is focused yeah. on on building community then the other yep. thing the other point you made was about uh 
multi our multi generational focus, and yep. you know I know it's mostly around the world. It's mostly twenty somethings and thirty somethings that are in these units. They're almost always rental. They're not mm -hmm. owned. Um, yep. So we're you know in at least in the in the U.S. and in Europe, it used to be that multiple generations, it was common for them to live under the same roof, uh, at mm -hmm. least three generations. And, mm -hmm. and that in the West, that doesn't happen very much anymore. Um, so I, and I feel like there's something that's lost there because younger mm -hmm. people can definitely uh, share the enthusiasm and, and creativity with older people and older people have wisdom um, and and think and experiences and things to share and we're because yep. we're separate we're not we're not creating that so yep. that's my main motivation of getting everyone together and mm -hmm. in my age group uh, and I, I consider myself an old hippie um, mm -hmm. you know we our generation was focused on building community and there were a lot of communes literally communes that were created mm -hmm. and, and were popular during the 60s so i think mm -hmm. i think my age group is very interested in that as we get older mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. artists of all ages and creatives mm -hmm. of all ages would be interested in it so mm. um so i think you know and we see some co-living communities that are built around themes like like artist creative types getting together or yep. entrepreneurs yep. getting together so yep. so i i do really want that as a focus and i'm also hoping to bring in young couples or couples with young children as well so that mm -hmm. and i i want to do some things around co-learning that would be combined with a co-working space and mm -hmm. have multiple generations learning and growing and, and sharing together so let me let me stop i'm i'm going too long yeah, i i think it's a very interesting point that you've made about um multiple generations living under you know essentially the same community um because so i i turned 30 next month and someone was asking me like you know how does it feel and you know like whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, what do you think about that and i was telling them that a lot of my late twenties has been realizing that my dad was right all along. And I've just been realizing that my dad gave to me his advice when I was a teenager, you know, all the things which I rejected back then. And I'm simply under, Oh, it's, it's all correct. Oh yeah. He was right all along. He was right all along. So, you know, that's essentially what I've been learning. And I completely understand the perspective that uh, everyone has something to share, right? Like whether it's a teenager, whether it's someone in their twenties or thirties, whether it's someone um, much further down the line, Everyone has something to share. Uh, if you have the attitude to learn from everyone and, you know, to essentially coexist and, you know, look at someone as an individual and not really judge them before you meet them. Uh, I think, you know, you can become friends and get along with, you know, essentially everybody. Uh, this entire uh, point, right? Like that whole, like young people stay with young people, like, you know, like families and, you know, middle-aged people stay with middle-aged people, old people stay with old people. I think that's a broken concept of how a community is built. Um, I think good communities are built, you know, where you have a great blend of people. And uh, last year, I think um, when I was in Europe, I was in Berlin. Uh, there was a super interesting conference which happened some, uh, on a very similar topic. 
uh, it was about blended living as uh, as they are actually termed it and it essentially talks about the same same thing you know having students having working professionals uh, having like you know like parents and you know like older people uh, what happens you know when you build a community with everybody together and i found that to be a very very interesting topic uh, super interesting that it's not yet permeated into society uh, although it seems like such an obvious thing like why shouldn't this well, why isn't this you know how uh, how everybody lives so very interesting that it's not yet a thing but uh, i think it's a better version of our future right one where um, you know people kind of like you know like blend and you know have a peaceful coexistence than you know how society and you know living ways living standards have been formed today so i think that's a super interesting super interesting thought and you know um i listened to your podcast on christine's show the code living code mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i listened to i listened to a lot of them and whenever mm-hmm. she asked Uh, essentially what is the holy grail for co-living almost everyone mentions multigenerational um uh mm-hmm. housing so yeah i think a lot of people are trying to make that work and one of the reason one of the ways that i think we're going to be able to be successful with that is that mm-hmm. we're not looking at a rental model we're looking at an ownership model and let me just mm-hmm. share a little bit about that um i did some research into co-ops and uh co-ops are mostly up in in the us or mostly up in new york and they're very mm-hmm. they're very common in fact most uh residential or or a lot of residences are in a co-op setting and the one way to do it is what's called a um uh an unlimited I'm not getting the term right, but an unlimited equity co-op where whatever you sell it for, you can sell it for whatever you want when you're ready mm-hmm. to move out. And in a co-op, you don't own your footprint, you own shares in the entire operation. Another yeah. another uh, version of that and the one that we're looking at is a limited equity co-op. And mm-hmm. what that does is it caps the it caps your ability to sell it you get some profit out of it but not not whatever the market will bear and my yeah. the reason i like that is that <clears throat> those things can, tend to escalate and price people out and i do want ours to be affordable so uh and and affordable to to multiple generations so mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're looking at an uh our our main unit being a one or two bedroom condo a loft condo um sort of like what i have as my backdrop here and okay. uh about 1000 square feet and a, and mm-hmm. at a price point of about 250 and that 250 is not just for your condo it is it is for a share two shares of mm-hmm. the entire facility and i think that and and i do believe that there are some people that will want to buy them as an investment live there some mm-hmm. of the year we want to mm-hmm. create our first one down in south central florida in the tampa bay mm-hmm. area so i think mm-hmm. a lot of people would want to spend the winters there and maybe other times of the year but my hope is that they'll want to rent them out when they're not there and do so yeah. 
at maybe at their cost um, so that it's not the rent is not very high and mm. I think I think what we want to create is a sense of ownership and not mm -hmm. have a revolving door where people lots of people are coming in and out but to have mm -hmm. a stable maybe 75 percent are residents permanent residences and 25 percent could be opened up to rental um so that we've got we've got that sense of ownership in the community and more continuity mm -hmm. which i think will help us do programming better get to know each mm -hmm. other better and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um and maybe make it more stable than mm -hmm. most of them that are more rent uh, rental oriented what are your thoughts on that mm. i think uh, this might be one of the most interesting concepts that I've heard, and I've spoken to so many people in the co-living industry. Uh, I haven't heard of too many people who are looking at it from the perspective of a co-op. Right? Uh, I think everyone's essentially looking at it from the perspective of, um, from a rental perspective, right? Saying, hey, there's going to be an asset owner who's going to create the asset, there's an operator who's going to build the community and you know manage the rentals, and the tenants are essentially going to be paying rent. And it's, it's a, it's a landlord-tenant relationship, you know, at the end of the day. So to say that, hey, we're going to flip this switch completely and, you know, we're going to make this more as a, as a co-op where you buy into the community. You're, you're not thinking of it from a one week or a one year perspective. You're actually thinking of it from a super long term perspective where you're buying into, a, you know, you're buying into the community in, in every sense of the word. So I think it's a very, very interesting concept. Uh, we, I, I think another point that you might be onto something is um, saying that your first facility is going to be in Tampa Bay, Florida, right? Um, which is not really the big, um, you know, metropolis where, you know, where we're used to seeing a lot of other co-living facilities come up, where I think um, in the U.S. it's very much, uh, you know, like a phenomena, like centric around like New York and Boston and San Francisco and L.A. and all these other, you know, like um, urban metropoles. And so where, you know, a concept like this might not take off immediately because it would definitely be expensive. Uh, even if it is a co-op, it's still going to be super expensive. But whereas, I guess, you know, in Tampa, Florida, I don't think it might be as expensive as it would be in other places, making it a lot more affordable. Uh, definitely something that can work in your favor uh, is that there is so much of talk and discussion around uh, never returning back into an office. You know, simply saying, hey, everyone can just, you know, work from anywhere. Um, so that's once again, you know, like increasing the odds that People can be working for a super high-tech Silicon Valley company, but they don't need to be in San Francisco. They could just be working out of, you know, like Tampa, Florida. And these might be people who might be paid a lot more and it might be super affordable. So they might only be able to afford uh, maybe like a small studio, uh, you know, like in San Francisco for the same amount. Whereas, you know, potentially in Tampa, Florida, they might be able to really upgrade their lifestyle. So there's so many reasons why, um, you know, I think, you know, this can potentially work out. Um, we were actually discussing a slightly different model for this, uh, not as a co-op, but uh, we were discussing how, uh, you know, like uh, how potentially, an, uh, not really an operator, but even a landlord or a private equity fund, when they're launching a co-living space, um, they create the asset, they rent it out, but directly they put it out as a REIT, um, you know, like onto the public market. And any tenant, you know, who's interested in, in looking at this from a long-term perspective can, you know, potentially just buy shares in the REIT, right? Uh, so that they get an ownership benefit as well. And, you know, just seeing, you know, whether there is a play where the REIT owner or the landlord essentially 
can you know give incentives for tenants you know who are essentially buying the reit you know so we were discussing a concept like this uh which is a very which is very similar to what you're doing but you know like more from a super capitalistic perspective um right. but yeah but, but but to us like that made sense as well um because at some point i think people want to own their home right so people are not going to remain renters you know like forever and ever or that's not going to be the bigger portions of population uh people want to rent when they are young but you know by the time they feel like they want to settle down you know they want to make an investment in real estate they want to uh they want to be in a place where they can see themselves being for the next 5 years 10 years so uh, just the other day i was discussing with somebody saying that you know at what point does co-living go from simply being a young person and renter phenomena to something that becomes you know as we've already discussed you know something that becomes multi generational where, where, where do we find ownership so uh, i think it's a very interesting concept that you're working on uh, I, i'm personally very excited to see you know how this pans out over the next few years Yeah, and uh, another problem it solves is the in, the initial investment. So let's say we've got a we're we're looking at a model of a hundred units, and mm-hmm. averaging two hundred and fifty thousand. There will be mm-hmm. some studios. There'll be some flats. There'll be some three bedrooms so that we can have families. So there'll be different mm-hmm. price points. But let's just say on average two hundred and fifty thousand. that is mm-hmm. that's working capital of 25 million dollars so mm-hmm. um we're looking at buildings that cost anywhere from 4 to 6 million and the build out would not take the difference uh mm-hmm. of those numbers so instead of having to find an investor to put up mm-hmm. the funds uh we'll be able to and and these are uh they're financed much like a traditional mortgage that mm-hmm. uh, you you would you would purchase a mortgage is just for shares and not for the footprint um mm-hmm. and the other thing that we're doing to sort of take pull the profit motive out of our model is that we've mm-hmm. created a not for profit corporation that is mm-hmm. devoted to developing these different uh communities and right. once we once we do the first one provide technical support because we would like to create them in other cities and i'm looking mm-hmm. at second tier cities but cool cities like austin texas uh and maybe outside of washington dc uh but some uh and and some mid-sized cities like nashville that have some real mm-hmm. energy in charlotte north carolina so mm-hmm. uh and i eventually we may be able to do this in a new york or la but mm-hmm. also look at the property uh values mm-hmm. there so much higher so. <laughs> yeah i you know i think uh, a very good way to approach um anything in real estate um but definitely specific to co-living and you know the concept that we're discussing as well is that i think every location uh, there is a demand supply disparity right and the only question is do we have more supply or do we have more demand and once you get to the answer of this you know like you can really figure out which aspect uh, you know are you going to be playing in in markets with high demand it's only a question of creating supply in markets with high supply it's only a question of creating demand right so and i think that's the crux of you know how we look at it uh, typically in cities um demand is never the challenge demand is almost perennial uh, of course there's a, there's a pandemic that's going on which is you know like driven people out of cities but that aside um 
definitely i think um, people will return back to cities there's a reason why you know we constructed cities in the first place you know there are physical network effects which are simply hard to get over so typically when you're looking at it from a city perspective like the demand always is, is available and there is always a captive demand as well it's really a question of can you source land you know to essentially construct anything that you want to construct right it's super difficult to take a multifamily apartment and you know kind of retrofit that into a co-living space that doesn't quite work um because you know like uh, for for so many reasons right you 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 would ideally prefer to you know build from the ground up but once again you don't get access to land getting permits is super difficult in cities as well uh you know figuring out you know zoning laws and you know where exactly this is going to fit into the picture and once again sourcing capital becomes its own set of challenges because there's a lot of money that just goes into tried tested proven real estate asset classes you know like our institutional investors you know completely willing to create co-living assets so so many questions that Uh, that are looking for answers uh, with respect to constructing new assets in cities uh, i think that's where the opportunity lies right now where we look at as you said whether it's charlotte whether it's kentuck or whether it's louisville whether it's tampa uh, all of these cities essentially uh, offer a promise that people might not go back to cities people might be willing to you know like upgrade their lifestyle in exchange for you know like being in a in a tier 2 city as such where everything is a lot more affordable but it might just not have the same level of vibrancy or energy as you know like a new york or a los angeles might have um but i think that's a real decision that people are actually looking at so maybe it might make sense to create new supply in these cities as well in the hope that the demand that is leaving the tier 1 cities you know essentially finds their way into tier 2 cities so definitely you know it's a very interesting time to be in this space and um you know people are definitely fleeing new york i think i saw 10% occupancy uh or uh not 10% 90% uh but occupancy is way down you know yeah. um <clears throat> we've been focused mostly on the west and one of the uh, i was fascinated to hear your take on since mm-hmm. you are focused on india um and mm-hmm. i think some uh you got some knowledge about china the scale of what you're working with in india is just incredible and in many ways i think we could safely say that that in india you're further along yes it's a it has a different flavor but yeah it, it's much more prominent so yeah. talk a little bit about your experience and you've been a uh, a provider of of a co-living facility just talk a little yeah. bit about about your experience <laughs> and what it's like in india what co-living is like there sure so um to set the context um india has about 1.3 billion people uh china has something in a very similar ballpark so uh, the, the thing that i find most fascinating is that people from other countries just do not understand the scale right of the population that we have so well, for, to set the context it's a huge country with a lot of people uh the second point to keep in mind is that we have a very young population the average age of an indian is about 23 years old so it's a very very young country right so we have a lot of people you know going to school going to college graduating and looking for looking for a job or you know they've essentially got their first job so we have a huge you know proportion of our population who are super young uh and a lot of them yeah. let me let me interrupt a lot of them are entering the tech sector aren't they especially in chennai and bangalore um yes. and and that's new relatively speaking right so we have 
we have about uh, i think 1 million engineers who graduate every year out of engineering courses so that's a lot of uh, that's a lot. i'll have to double check the stat but it's in that ballpark between half a million to 1 million engineers graduate every year uh, out of colleges here so that's a lot of people and a lot of them end up in the technology sector uh, so a lot of them uh, by technology we really mean software so they they create software for large enterprises in us europe they create a lot of products which are used across the world so we have a very uh, it's 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 a high energy sector right? you know i could say right like so that's essentially what a lot of the young people today here hope to do uh, when they're going or you know essentially teenagers right so they want to get into engineering you know they want to graduate and they want to work for a large technology company or they want to build a technology company by themselves so as you said right like a lot of cities like bangalore hyderabad chennai gurgaon noida so a lot of these cities are essentially i think the economy of these cities is uh, these are all you know like mini san francisco you know like in in sense right like so a huge portion of the local economy is powered by um, you know people who are looking to enter or who are already in the technology industry so there's a lot of such people uh, that's another point to keep in mind uh, shared living and co-housing or boarding houses or you know as as how it's referred to um in by different names in different countries but co-living has been around in india for a couple of decades i would say i think early in 2000s itself when there was mass migration of people from uh, from villages and small towns you know into cities you know essentially to work <coughs> in the tech sector we have this thing that we call locally as paying guests which is very similar to the concept of a boarding house or you know like uh, co-housing as it's known in in a couple of other in, in a few countries as well where essentially you know you have maybe anywhere from 10 to about 100 people staying within the same building right and it's kind of like or it's, it's kind of like managed by an operator um, you know today they're all called co-living operators but they've been called paying guest operators or pg operators more locally Uh, that business has actually existed for like a couple of decades i would say um just that it was never happening in a structured or an organized way and that is essentially the opportunity that we are seeing right now or that's essentially what's been happening in the indian co-living movement for the past 7 to 8 years where a lot of new age of, uh, entrepreneurs and the, and a whole bunch of you know people who have been involved in the real estate sector they've been looking at that particular segment uh, you know people in their early to mid 20s who do not have access to high quality accommodation although they have the purchasing power you know to to spend a little extra right uh, to get a, to get access to good quality accommodation and there's a lot of such people here okay, so given the given the scale of our population you know there's so many people who actually fit that bill and that's what co-living operators have been doing you know they've been uh, they've either been convincing investors to create new assets uh, you know for this population and then they've been you know like operating on these assets or they've been taking existing uh, you know multifamily uh, apartments and kind of like retrofitting it to suit a co-living lifestyle or they've even been taking single family rentals or you know they've been taking up a few apartments and large uh, large condos and essentially like you know like retrofitting all of these facilities putting in furniture putting in high quality internet and you know making it available for the younger generations of of society and that's essentially what's been fueling the growth we have about uh, i think i would say like we have close to about 200000 people who stay in organized co-living facilities uh, in india today 
we potentially have i would say maybe about 5 to 10 million people who are already staying in unorganized facilities so it's a it's, it's a pretty big market opportunity and <clears throat> mostly the focus is on providing a safe relatively comfortable place to live they're not plush um yeah <clears throat> describe them i think uh we look at it as um so uh, you know like we think of it as like affordable premium super premium right so we kind of like split it into three categories um there are following operators who focus on you know different categories as well uh so the affordable category is you know essentially what used to be like the paying guests uh, which were you know like the bread and butter uh, bare necessities but done in a little more modern way so that's uh, you know that's what we call as the affordable category uh then there is the premium category where um you know there's like much better quality furniture the rooms are a little little bigger better you know like better quality internet uh, all of that so that becomes you know the the premium category and then there's a super premium category as well which focuses a lot more on the community like you know maybe like better quality food you know like a lot more social events which are being organized so there are like multiple levels you know at which it can happen so once again given the scale of the market there are multiple opportunities that exist so you know like so operators have been so a lot of operators have kind of like figured out what is their niche uh, we do see people playing across the field as well but we do see people you know focusing on one of the three segments by themselves uh, so yeah there's a lot of opportunity uh, i think the challenge here right like uh, what i noticed is a challenge in india which i know is a challenge in china as well uh, which is essentially the core challenge i think in most emerging economies is that you can build scale very quickly but the margins in the business are a little limited so you know for yourself as an entrepreneur to build a business which is of meaningful scale for yourself uh, you have to build a huge scale right so you need to have like thousands of rooms or you know thousands of people living in your facilities for the entire thing to make sense so that's one of the key points you know to keep in mind that okay so let me maybe give a quick uh, you know context of you know what i used to do you know before i started building software so i've been in the real estate space for about 6 7 years now and initially we started off doing a lot of services in real estate uh, you know like broking services uh, investment advisory services but eventually we found ourselves uh, being a rental operator uh, so we focused on co-living facilities student housing facilities family housing facilities as well uh, we built out a portfolio of about uh, we had a whole bunch of properties but we had about 1500 2600 people staying uh across you know like multiple properties we were managing uh, across three cities in india uh the biggest challenge here becomes you know how do you scale up the offering right so co-living is such a touch and feel industry it is extremely operationally intensive uh, so many manual touch points which you cannot automate or which is very difficult to automate and uh, you know how do you like you know digitize these interactions how do you automate these processes how does it scale right and so in india one of the funny points is that like even though we had 1500 people staying in our facilities we were not even in the top 10 operators right in india like so there are people who have tens of thousands of <laughs> of beds or rooms or you know properties under management um and so you know we were we were like way outside and you know like we were having a lot of challenges scaling so that's essentially when we built the software which is today the housemark right so that's when you know we built the software for ourselves to help us 
streamline portfolio operations you know to help us drive more online bookings to help us you know like automate a lot of offline processes and at one point we realized that we might just uh, you know the larger society might benefit if we just license the software to other operators because everyone's going through the same challenges right like how do you streamline operations how do you engage the community how do you do all of this in a in a much better way so that's when you know we started selling the software to other companies and that's you know that, that's how we find ourselves where we are today awesome and i i do want to hear more about the software uh, but let me ask you this while I'm thinking about it. So with these massive facilities and these numbers of people, how is that, how are they faring during COVID? Um, it just sounds like it could be a hotbed for COVID. How are they doing? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so in India, we've had a very challenging time uh, during COVID with respect to the co-living industry. Um, pretty much everyone has gone back to their hometown. Uh, people who were staying in co-living facilities or people who were staying in, you know, paying guest facilities, everyone has essentially gone back to their hometowns. Uh, they've gone back to, so everyone's essentially living with their parents. So the occupancy rates, I think, are hovering anywhere between 20 to 40 percent, uh, depending, depending on the city and depending on a lot of factors. But yeah, so there has been a very big drop in vacancy. And that's essentially how people have, that's how the customers have responded uh, to the pandemic. You know, they've just like, you know, um, gone back. But I would say the operators here have done a very good job of doing a quick response. So a lot of people have, you know, like digitized. Um, so for example, let's say someone's coming to deliver food, right? So you order takeout, someone's coming to deliver food. So operators have moved very quickly. Like, you know, they've implemented contactless parcel management uh, systems, you know, to ensure that these the, these things are done well. All movements are tracked, you know, much better. You know, using so there's like there are temperature guns everywhere. You know, there's like masks everywhere. Um, people have you know so even the booking and move-in process, which used to be super offline earlier, uh, a lot of things have been done to digitize that process as well. So I would say the operators have moved pretty quickly, and you know they have uh, they have implemented a lot of solutions to reassure customers that you know they are taking the pandemic seriously. Um, I think the demand would come back to the market in a couple of months, but as of now, like, you know, given where we stand today, the occupancy levels are pretty low. You know, that's very interesting. And I, I'm finding that there are a lot of industries that are seeing an acceleration of trends that were happening anyway. And this, yeah. I think this is an example of that where these operators are working at much lower level, but they're seeing the, they're, they're, increasing their ability to digitize their processes and getting more efficient so that once yeah. once this once they come back the people come back they'll be yeah. a lot more uh, efficient and tools like your software you know can yeah. can really help um or let me give you a let me let me make a point here um about software adoption in the industry in itself and this applies to multiple industries. This is more of a market phenomena, let's say between, uh, let's take the example of India versus the US, right? So let's say it doesn't matter what the industry is. Let's say you have two ways to do this. You can either do it offline, uh, wherein you have a physical representative from your company who's gonna do something, right? Something manual. And let's say option two is that you're gonna automate that using some software, right? Now in the US and in Europe and in all the emerging uh, and in all the developed economies, 
it's super expensive to hire full time resources you know it, it's very expensive to have people on a salary so let's say that you're going to pay $5000 a month to keep someone on a salary to do a given process versus let's say paying maybe $500 a month or $1000 a month for a software which can automate the same process it's a no brainer you know because you know you can you you would just use the software the challenge that uh, software companies face when selling to audience in emerging economies in countries like india vietnam indonesia huge parts of south america and africa is that cost of labor is very very cheap it's not expensive to hire people over here you know so a lot of companies what they really do is that instead of using software which might cost them let's say maybe like 500 dollars they would simply employ somebody who would actually cost them maybe like $700 or $1000 a month right so the cost benefit was not very high where you know when you move from using physical uh, labor you know to using software and that was one of the biggest reasons why companies were not adopting technology quickly now this is not just in real estate or in co-living like i'm talking manufacturing consultancy services agencies like you know across across the economy now interestingly what covid has done is that it's not really a question of cost or price anymore customers simply are demanding it they don't want to meet or you know like they they don't want to have offline touch points with representatives of your business they simply want to do it online more from the perspective of safety and right. that is starting to accelerate you know technology adoption so i think if there is a silver lining you know in this super dark cloud i think it's the fact that it's going to help propel automation and software uh, you know forward in, in in some of these countries mhm definitely let me ask you this um are are classes uh let's say college classes because there are a lot of students mm -hmm. there are they being held mm -hmm. online now so that the students can go back home and attend yeah. the classes virtually yes so um i think both with respect to schools as well as universities uh classes have started online um i was speaking to my sister the other day and she has like two kids um one is i think my nephew is still in kindergarten and my niece i think she is in fourth grade or fifth grade and both of them are spending time in front of their laptops because you know their classes are happening online so yes so both schools and universities have moved on to uh, online education the universities are facing challenges uh, with respect to new intake and admission because uh, in india like you know we have something similar to uh, the gre and sats you know which happen in the us you know we have our own uh, entrance examinations that students have to take you know before they can uh, they can get into university and these exams are not held online so these exams are held offline these are you know pen paper exams and they happen at scale right so we have millions of people you know taking these entrance examinations every year and we have not yet as a country we have not yet been able to uh, hold these examinations um, uh, nor have we been able to you know hold them digitally so because of that the new intake has not yet happened so i think the freshers or the, you know the first year uh, college students so that admission process has not yet started uh, even the exams have not yet happened so we we think i think that might happen maybe by october or november but i think for the rest of uh, the rest of the students it's kind of back to normal with respect to i mean at least classes are happening and it's happening digitally mm -hmm. so uh i keep putting off uh hearing about your software but let me not put it off anymore because i <laughs> i i am a developer a software developer right. more on the marketing side 
so, mm-hmm. but I'm very interested in it, and I know a lot of people that are that are watching are very interested. So, and and yeah. we'll, I promise we'll, we talked about this offline that we'll we'll do a a, a podcast just on yeah. demoing the software. But why don't you yeah, yeah. talk about the the different features and the different challenges that you're trying to solve? Definitely. Uh, you know, a, a one-line summary would be that the Housemark helps real estate businesses market, sell, and manage their portfolio. So we help our clients, um, you know, establish an online presence with their website, start driving online bookings, and you know, end-to-end manage their portfolio with respect to whether it's rent collection, addressing customer support queries, engaging the community. Uh, whatever you know, facility management, visitor management. So whatever comes with respect to portfolio management. So market sell manage. You know we have an end-to-end suite of tools, multiple tools essentially, which help our clients achieve you know all of these goals. We primarily sell the software to. Um, I think we have like three categories of clients that we sell to: uh, rental operators, including co-living companies, housing companies senior housing facilities, multifamily, single family. So uh, any kind of, you know, like anyone who's in the business of managing any kind of real estate uh, from a rental perspective. So rental operators are uh, a big customer base for us. We sell to real estate developers uh, to help them, you know, go online, find customers, market their projects. Uh, we also sell to property and facility management companies who are more in the business of, you know, keeping an existing facility intact. So we have close to hundred customers uh, spread across about 12 countries right now, scaling super quickly. Um, more than the number of customers, you know, like we're extremely happy that our customers are very happy. So that's, you know, that's something that we focus on quite a bit. Uh, if someone asks me, you know, what is one reason why they should sign up to our software? I would definitely say it's because of our customer support. Uh, we have noticed extensively that, you know, there's a lot of software uh, in the world, uh, definitely a lot of software in the real estate management, um, you know, domain as well. But we feel that uh, software developers do a very good job of building the software, but they do a terrible job of providing a great experience to customers, you know, who are interested in using your software. So we say, uh, you know, one of the points that we mentioned extensively is that chatbots are outdated. It's time to bring back human connection. So one of the things that we do is that, you know, as soon as you sign up with our platform, we set you up with a human customer success manager who's going to be with you, you know, like through and through who's going to help you get the most out of the software. Uh, and it's a very simple, you know, SaaS-based model as in you pay a small monthly fee for using for using the system and makes it and it's a win-win, right? So if you're not happy with the software, you're going to like unsubscribe. And if you're happy, you're going to stay with us. And we have almost a 95% customer retention. Um, you know, people who sign up with us, they simply stay with us throughout. And I think it's, uh, I would say maybe it's 40% because of the features that we have. It's possibly 60% because of the great customer support that we provide. So yeah, so that's that, that's about you know the house function in a nutshell. That's awesome. How how long were you in development to create it? Not that you're not still and always in development, but uh, uh, get it, it get it's, it out the it's door. It's very tricky. Uh, it's very tricky because we built it for ourselves, right? So we so our previous uh, company, which was essentially a rental management company in itself, uh, was called Cozy Homes, and we launched that company in 2015. And very early in the process, we realized that we needed to build our own property management software because, you know, there weren't really too many good property management software in India. So early 2016, we hired, you know, like an engineering team to start development on the product. So the first version came out, I think, early 2017. But then by the time the product became 
good enough for us to adopt internally it was possibly 2018 so it was about 2 years before it became a good internal product uh, it took one more year from there for it to become a commercially viable product that we could you know sell to the open market so by i think mid to end of 2018 we started getting um customers on pilot um but i think by early 2019 the product was good enough that you know we we could start selling it to companies who did not know us you know essentially we came out of a beta version into a full fledged product so yeah so i think it was about 2 to 2 and a half years essentially was the full development cycle do you um also collect payments on the website for the for the um providers yes so we actually have a very robust set of accounting tools so let's say that you're an operator and you're looking for collecting rent um which is you know one of the biggest use cases that people use our system for so you can automatically invoice your customers on the starting of every month we come pre integrated to i think about 6 or 7 payment gateways so you can automate the collection so customers can pay through the app or they get a payment link via email they can make the payment set your bank account automatically gets reconciled and we have a bunch of advanced features as well you know for example let's say that um you payment needs to happen let's say by the third day of every month you can automate reminders you know in case people haven't paid by the third you know like you can send them an automatic reminder every day and let's say beyond the fifth you know you can schedule you know multiple reminders for them every day uh, if people are late beyond a given date you can automatically impose a fine for people who are paying late so you, know, you you can do pretty much pretty much everything to manage your receivables from your customers that's awesome and Uh I gather that credit card ado- adoption is way below what it is in the west it's probably yeah. growing so you probably have yeah. a lot you have to provide a lot more payment options uh for people It's uh, I think it's a very interesting cultural phenomena that um living on credit is not really considered a very good thing over here so people really want to spend money that they have they don't want to spend money that they don't yet have You know, so credit card penetration in India is very, very less. Um, I think most emerging economies, it's a very similar story. Like you know, people don't really want to spend money that they haven't yet earned. So people pay more from their debit cards or ATM cards. Um, the government here has actually uh, built a new technology called UPI, which is Unified Payments Interface. Um, it's a, it's a very seamless way for you to make payments through your app. Uh, sorry, uh, through your through your smartphone. So it's like it's a one-click technology. So the adoption of that has increased rapidly. So in India, like digital adoption has happened very quickly over the last five years. Smartphones have become very, very affordable. Um, India actually has the lowest rates for mobile data uh, across the world. So it's super cheap, you know, to have a have a great data package. So um, to give you a sense of the numbers, I think most people here uh, they consume about. 1 gb of data per day right so and that comes in your basic plan so that's not like a like a top end plan you know that the mobile carriers here offer that's essentially what everybody has over here so it's very very cheap to have data like quality of uh, internet connections have been picking up over the last couple of years as well so yeah so there's there's a lot of interesting things happening and again this covid is going to accelerate all those changes you know <clears throat> yeah yeah well Um I bet you we could talk for another 3 hours <laughs> non-stop but it, <clears throat> but it feels like a good 
a good break point. And um, yeah. uh, let's definitely, we'll definitely schedule you uh, for six weeks or so out and do, yeah. do an episode just about the software. Um, yeah. And let's talk about some of these other things that we've just scratched the surface on. So definitely, definitely. I would definitely look forward to that. And, you know, maybe we'll work on a couple of other agenda points to discuss uh, in the next call. And, you know, we'll take it from there. Great. It's so great to, uh, to meet you and to hear your perspective on things. Um, and with your, your developer background, uh, your, your provider, uh, facility provider background and software, you're just in a great spot. Uh, to yeah. to really, uh, pardon the pun, to really thrive in the industry. <laughs> so that's true. I think well, one of the points that uh, you know I keep mentioning is that to build a great business from a long-term perspective, uh, I think you need three things. Uh, I think you need to really love what you're doing. Uh, you really need to be good at it, and the market needs to be conducive. Right. So you need all three things to work in your favor to build something meaningful, you know, which can last a long time. And I, I, I think I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to be in, uh, to have all three work for me. I really like being in the real estate, rental, co-living, uh, you know, like I, I really like being in this domain. Uh, I think now is the right time to do this because uh, across the world, you know, like there is a, uh, there is so much momentum, right? Like behind us, you know, because I think like there's an organic need for people to find access to, you know, good quality housing. So, you know, that's coming back into focus. And I really hope that I'm good at doing this as well. So, you know, I, I really believe like, you know, like we're at the intersection of this and uh, that, uh, that's something that we're excited about. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the Fantastic. conversation and let's do stay connected and uh, yeah. we've got lots to talk about, lots to share. Definitely, Mark. Thank you so much for your time as well. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Thrive Co-Living podcast and YouTube broadcast. To discover more about our mission, activities, and how to find us on social media, please check out our website at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. There you can also learn how you can support this creative vision in community co-living. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back soon.